0: Good morning. morning. It's a joy to be with you. Uh, It's a privilege for me to have the opportunity to open God's Word and also to later uh, give a report about what the Lord has done in the Dominican and what uh, work we hope to do in Spain. Before I turn uh, to the Word of God with you, uh, let's pray. Lord, we pray uh, that you would work in our hearts uh, to day by day uh, be faithful until the end. Uh, worship you alone and with with all our hearts. uh, We pray that you would uh, give us strength, Holy Spirit, to do so for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know what your Monday looks like. Well, tomorrow, I know, kind of. (laughs) A typical Monday. You get up, you kind of scramble to, you know, feed breakfast to the kids and then off to work and busy day at work, commute, you come back and you got an appointment or some sports thing going on or and then before you know it, it's like 9.30, you're exhausted, you crash and you start over. It's like a rat race, day after day. Busy, busy day. Uh, Every day seems to be a busy day, well at least if you have kids. Uh, You think you're busy and then you have kids and you know you're busy. Um, And uh, you add to that, right, the, the current events, and it seems to heighten everything that's going on. And like Current events, like that's, that's kind of a loaded statement. Are we talking about a pandemic or an unfortunate war that's going on, a political climate with, within the country? You add that to uh, our already uh, fight with our flesh, uh, the pressure from the world and also Uh, We know that that's the devil's work that is going on. We seem to be living in a very distracted, busy society. And that tempts us to subvert the focus on God, give first place or first concern to other matters that may in turn uh, become idolatries in our life. And the passage we're looking at this morning answers the question why worship God, why give God his due place, give focus to God in our lives, how he is due. So in the book of Revelation, uh, the book of Revelation written by, Do- by John is uh, kind of a controversial book. I'm not going to go over the interpretive issues. Uh, we don't have time for that. I take a futuristic stance for a few reasons. First of all, the book says it's a prophecy in chapter 1, verse 3. Then as we go to chapter one, verse 19, John talks about the things he's seen, the things revealed to him. Uh, Jesus speaks to him here and says, write therefore what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. And so what is now is uh, the revelation to the seven churches. And we find three things in those letters to the seven churches. Good job, commendation, an exhortation, and a condemnation, a severe warning, and a a call to repentance. Two churches receive the good job and also the exhortation. Two, the exhortation and the warning message. And three churches receive all three components. And we know that this applies to the church today, as at the end of several letters, it says to proclaim that, share that with the churches. And so uh, this is a message for us this morning. And at the very least, we find an exhortation to heed what the book of Revelation says. And that is so in light of the things to come. We find a transition marker in chapter 4 of Revelation, verse 1, that says in the second part of the verse, 1, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. Future things. And we find ourselves in this chapter with... The vision of the throne room of heaven. And uh, so from there on, it's future. And we have the judgments and the culmination of history culminating in the new heavens and new earth. If you'd read with me, uh, our passage is chapters 4 and 5 this morning. So we'll be doing an overview of the throne room of heaven in Revelation. Answering right the question, why worship God? Revelation 4 reads the following way. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had appearance of jasper and ruby, a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. Surrounding the throne were twenty four other thrones, and seated on them were twenty four elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also, in front of the throne, there was, like, there was what looked like a sea of glass clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him, who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. And so the, the first thing we see, right? This chapter is about the one who is on the throne. Um, John is invited into heaven, and what does he see? Verse 1. Uh, Verse 2, pardon me. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. So we have uh, in Revelation a key theme is the throne. 16 of its 22 chapters talk about the throne, and here the throne is mentioned 11 times in chapter 4. It's all about the one on the throne, God the Father sitting on his throne Then we have descriptors of the one on the throne, right? Verse 3 and on had appearance of jasper and ruby and then the rainbow that shone like an emerald. And those uh, precious stones just describe the radiance and the glory of God. And as we keep reading uh, verse 5, we find descriptors of God's wrath that is about to come upon the world described through uh, flashes of lightning, rumblings, and peals of thunder. And then, as we keep reading, uh, the verse mentions to us the Holy Spirit. It's kind of a symbolic way uh, that the Holy Spirit is mentioned there. Towards the end of verse 5, it says, In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. So why do I say that? Well, as we look at uh, cross-reference, Revelation 1, verse 4. John, to the seven churches, so reads the following. To the seven churches in the province of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and was and who is to come, so the Father, and from the seven spirits before his throne, the Holy Spirit, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness. So there is the what I believe here, the Trinity uh, in chapter... 1 verse 4. And so this would be the, the Holy Spirit uh, that we find in Revelation 4 as well. There's further description about God in verse 6. It says, also in front of the throne there was what looked like a sea of glass clear as crystal. Now the sea normally uh, means something chaotic or, or wickedness. But here in this verse, it gives a specific description of the sea, clear as crystal. And so interpreters think that since the sea would have been, or glass would have been semi-opaque, and this one is actually clear as crystal, it's just speaking of the purity of God. And so we have the one on the throne, pure, glorious, and radiant, And then we're introduced to his subjects around the throne. Verse 4 and the second part of verse 6 and 7 reads the following way. So We go back to verse 4. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones and seated on them were 24 elders. Who are those elders? They might be men or angels. I think they're angels because of a cross-reference. Chapter 5, verse 9. So If you look at... Verse 9, it's the elders here who are singing a new song, and as they sing, they say, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. So I think uh, the, the elders are speaking of persons, they're angels, but they're speaking of Persons And of of them, it would appear that they're a high angelic order. And so they are on other thrones around the central throne, right? They're subjects to the one on the main throne. And then we're also introduced uh, to the four living creatures, verses 6 and 7, the second part of verse 6. It says, in the center around the throne were four living creatures they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a a lion, second like an ox, third like a man, uh, and then the fourth like an eagle, and that they had wings, right, in verse 8. And those appear to be a a similar description to what we've read, right, Isaiah 6 or Ezekiel 1. They're seraphims or cherubims at high angelic order, the highest angelic order, And so we have angels around the throne worshiping God. The one on the throne, the subjects around the throne, and now we see what the subjects do as we keep reading this portion. If we keep reading verse 8, towards the end of verse 8, it says, Day and night they never stop saying, so there's an endless worship of the one on the throne. And why do they worship him? Well, because he is holy, holy, holy. And holy here in its basic sense can also mean, you know, separated from sin. But it speaks of, God's in a, of God in a superlative way, in, an, in a very emphatic way, the three times holy. It's a bad illustration, but it's, it's a type of emphasis like this one. Your kid really wants something, and they asked you like a hundred times and then you said yes, and then they asked you again to make sure that they're going to get what they want? It's a very emphatic statement here in the passage about God's holiness, how he is separate from his creation. He is creator over his creation. They worship God because he is holy, but also because he is Lord, he is sovereign. He is almighty God. And because he is eternal, right, who was and is and is to come, and he has life within himself. He doesn't depend on something exterior to himself for life. And this eternality is stressed by being repeated two other times, once in verse 9 and again in verse 10. So the living creatures are there, and then as well, the 24 elders join in to the worship, right? Verse 10. The 24 elders fall down when the living creatures worship, uh, fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You're worthy. So, why is God worthy of our worship? Well, ultimately, it says here, For you created all things. You are the separate God from creation. You are the creator, the sustainer. He is the potter who has made the play. And because he has made us, he ought to decide what he does with us. And we ought to gladly submit to our creator God. And so as God is worthy, they ascribe intrinsic qualities to God, praising him. You are the all-glorious one, the all-honorable one, the all-powerful one, right? For you created all things. And uh, so why is God worthy of worship? Well, a few attributes, right? God has more attributes, but a few attributes are highlighted here. God's holiness, his almightiness, his lordship, his eternality. And that's why God deserves our worship. We are created beings. And we don't, I think we don't understand the concept of a king in this culture. You know, in the culture in which we live, it's like, yeah, I have my own opinion. You know, there's checks and balances in this country. I get, I get a word in, in what goes on over here. And I have this right and that right. And, you know, my boss, well, he better watch out because if he does this, I'm going to, you know, I got ways to... God is king. We don't have an opinion. God in his mercy allows for us to come before him and plead in prayer, right? According to his will. But God is king, he is sovereign. And the only right response is a reverent worship to our God. And John writes to an audience that is facing very difficult times under Domitian. Domitian, an emperor who enforced emperor worship. Every day you had to go worship the emperor. You're issued a certificate. If not, uh, you, you could die not having a certificate. So, John is encouraging the true church, exhorting them just keep going on. Look ahead. The one true king of the universe is on his throne. And you look at what's going on, and you're like, man, things really look like they're going sideways down here, but it is just God and his patience waiting that all the elect would be gathered and he will make things right he will judge sin he will restore he will make it new heavens new earth and of course for the the wayward for the unbelievers this is a a severe warning you ought ought to repent from your sins and bow down before the one and only king now this this is kind of a a terrible picture of who God is, right? His righteous anger. And if it were for just chapter 4, I'd be feeling a lot of heat right now, because I I know I don't measure up. However, uh, in his grace, God, rightfully righteous, and we ought to be thankful for that as well, but in his grace, uh, we find also the second part of the division of the throne room of heaven about the slain lamb. And so we'll turn our attention uh, to chapter 5 of Revelation, if you'd read along with me. Revelation chapter 5 reads the following way. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming a loud voice, Who is worthy? to break the seals and open the scroll. But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept, because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures... And the twenty-four elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation." You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, and ten thousand times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and elders. In a loud voice they were saying, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power, and wealth, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and on the sea, and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne, to the Lamb, be praise, and honor, and glory, and power, forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped. So we turn to chapter 5, and there's, there's a crisis in chapter 5. Uh, we see in chapter 5, verse 1, that there's also continuity with chapter 4, right? There's the one on the throne, so we're talking about the, the same vision here. And the crisis is uh, John weeping that no one is qualified, no one is able, no one is worthy to open the scroll. And you're like, well, what's, what's the big deal here anyways? No one can open a scroll. So what? Well, the scroll contains uh, history's consummation, the final judgments, and also the establishment of culminating in the establishment of the new heavens, new earth. And so it was a big deal uh, that we cannot have this revelation. But not only that, the fact that no one could open the scroll means no one can carry out the judgments and also final victory over sin and death. And as, of course, as we've read, uh, an elder tells John, verse 5, don't weep. The Messiah, right? The Messiah has, con- has, has conquered the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David. So we see in verse 6, uh, the lamb that is slain but standing. So he, he is the victorious lamb who has died but also resurrected. And because of that, he is worthy to, to take the scroll from the Father's right hand. And in verse 7, as he takes the scroll, it's the Father entrusting his plan to the qualified victorious Christ to carry out the judgments... And his plan, right, since eternity passed, not only to judge the earth, but also to carry out through the new heavens and new earth. And so because of the Messiah and his cross work, we see a right response by the subjects, again, worshiping the lamb for who he is, for what he has done in chapter 5. So, right, the, the crisis... The crisis is solved, and you're like, sure doesn't look like it. The war is won. There are battles that, that still rage on, but it is part of God's plan, and he does receive glory for that ultimately, patiently enduring until the time is right. So the worship, a second instance of worship here, verses 8 to ten, We find again the four living creatures and the 24 elders bowing down. And why do they do so? Verse 8. Uh, four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp. And they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. So our prayers here actually, you know, the incense... Uh, a pleasant odor to god they're an act of worship as we entrust ourselves with our concerns our praises to the lord they have those and along with that they sing a new song a new song to the the resurrected christ right you're worthy why why is jesus worthy of worship verse nine well because you were slain With your blood, you purchase for God persons from every tribe, language, people, and nation. Jesus is worthy, and he's not a mere local God. He is the only substitute for our sins. He is worthy for all creation, the one and only way to God. And so he is worthy. He has purchased people from every tribe, language, people, and nation Another reason verse 10 gives us, you've made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God and they'll reign on earth. So we as priests, we have a direct access to God the Father through Jesus Christ. So he is worthy having given us that access and we will one day reign under Christ along with him as well. So he is worthy and he Made us priests to serve God, right? We're not in the end in and of ourselves. Our worship is proclaiming truth to God about Him, but also a living sacrifice, as we know in Romans 12:1. And the passage actually keeps going on through a climactic culmination. Now we have a third instance of worship, and we find not only the living creatures, the elders, but countless angels, millions upon millions of angels worshiping the Lord for his work. Verse 11, right? Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. And they encircled the throne, the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice, they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain but because he was slain, he is worthy of our worship. And we praise him as the all-powerful, all-wealthy one, all-wise, strong, honorable, and glorious one, because he deserves it. I've never been at a T4G, but I've heard you have like 10,000 Christians or so singing together. And you got people who sing, who aren't exactly a pleasant sound, but it is a a worship to to the Lord. And that is an awesome thing, whether one has nice voice or not. But just imagine millions of angels. You know, you don't have 10,000 people who are imperfect. You have holy, angelic beings all together worshiping the Lord God Almighty and his son for his cross work. Don't you look forward to that? I mean, it's going to be awesome Just worshiping together uh, with you this morning is such an uplifting experience as we focus on God. Millions upon millions will be together worshiping God. Then the final climactic worship event in this passage we find in verse 13 and 14. And so what we see here is every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them. Whether you're a Christian or you're not, from the pit of of hell or with our Lord in heaven, you will bow down before Jesus. And so this is a call for you if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ. He has a righteous wrath and he will judge every unbeliever. And so just... Take advantage of his mercy that still is out there while there is time. And for us believers who struggle with our weak flesh and prioritizing or giving an idolatrous place to this or to someone, maybe we refocus and give God his, his right place, uh, his first place as our one and only God in our lives. And so they worship the one on the throne and the Lamb, saying, I'll just read it, saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said amen, and the elders fell down and worshiped. So we look back at our initial illustration, and we have... A busy day, right? And you, there's two ways about which we can go. Uh, our busy days—you just frantically get about your taking care of your kids, feeding breakfast, and you're impatient, and so you, you scream at them, "Come on, I got to get to work!" Or, or something, right? And you just hang out with your buddies at work, and it's all good, and you have your hobbies. And I think you know where I'm going with this, right? There's a, there's another way To go about my my everyday. And we're doing the same thing every day. And we're called upon as believers, as creatures, to worship God because he deserves it. We have God the Father and God the Son who share the same attributes, but here there's a different highlight, right? Highlight about the Father's attributes and a highlight about the Son's work, uh, having been slain, having redeemed us, made us priests. And so as I'm maybe groggy in the morning and I I want to get to work, instead of being impatient, I try to give a, a loving biblical instruction or correction to my children. And as I go about my daily work, I try to be light and salt, right? How I talk to my coworkers. Doesn't matter what topic that irritates me maybe comes up in the conversation, I try to be light and salt, and I try to build relationships to share Christ with them. Or if I work in a Christian environment, like a Bible college or a church, for me, it'd be like get over my funny sarcasm and stuff like that and try to build one another up. You know, there's a place for that, but um, that's how we worship God day in, day out. And as you come back home and you're tired... You don't feel like doing X, Y and Z and whatever. Let God work in my heart and your heart so as to, to finish each day well, and give God the honor and glory he, he deserves. One author speaks of worship as being focusing on God and responding to Him. I find that a very appropriate uh, definition: succinct, memorable. And in a day in which we, we struggle quite a bit, at least speak for myself, with uh, being scatterbrained, you know? You think of this and that, and I think we have a, a serious struggle with our, in our age about with, speak for myself, one other thing, be technology, you know? I get up in the morning, and before I've had time to think about anything, do you actually at first give your thoughts of the day to the lord or have you checked your phone 12 times and it's you know fragmented your attention so much you're just out the door the next thing you know and maybe i'll give some thought to god by the end of the day kind of thing and uh obviously that's just one way there's the various spheres of life but god deserves our focus he deserves worship he deserves a proper response with our our heart Right? This is our mind, our affections, and also what carries out of that, our actions. Another definition, true worship is a response of adoration and praise prompted by truth that God has revealed. And we have that in this passage, right? Truth that God has revealed. What, the Holy One, the Almighty, Sovereign, Eternal One, the One who was slain, the One who has redeemed us, and we worship him for his greatness, for his goodness towards us. But it is also, right, as I briefly alluded to in Romans 12, 1, worship is a living sacrifice. We are made to serve God in chapter 5, verse 10. It applies many ways, as I've already illustrated, but one famous statement uh, Missions exist because worship doesn't. Ultimately, the bottom line is we're worshipers. We either worship something, someone, or we worship who we should, the one and only true God. And as we go to Spain uh, working in missions, we worship God and want to make, well, God makes them, but we share the gospel so that people come in repentant faith to be worshipers of God. Isaiah forty three twenty one says, The people who I form for myself, that they may declare my praise. That is why we've been created. So again, we worship God. Why? Because he's our creator. Because he's our savior. He's our Lord. And may we not be distracted. May we use much self-control so that we can give God his, his right reverent worship he deserves. And may the Lord help us as we're weak, as we sin, to, to get up and keep on the fight till he comes back. And may the Lord bless his word in our lives this week. Amen.
1: All right, musicians, you guys can come on up. And a couple of things before we have our final stand together and have our final song and that is uh... let's uh... during our refreshment time make sure you get by if you can and uh, see Jeremy and Amy. Thank them for being with us. Thank Jeremy for his ministry to us. They also have the prayer cards over here on the table. Pick one of those up, and if you want to sign up to get their uh, newsletter and updates, they've got a sheet for you to do that as as well. I'm going to, before we have our closing song in a minute, introduce uh, a couple that's looking to join our church. Before I do that, I had no idea that the guys were going to do the presentation and all of that. So that was a complete surprise to me. But thank you to the leadership team. Thank you to the the congregation. Uh, with re, uh, re, with regard to being able to get that done, you played a major role in that. In the acknowledgements to the paper, I actually mention our congregation, and thank the Lord in that for you, because you have made my work a joy and not a burden. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for that uh, presentation. And you can forego the whole doctor. Thing. Pastor Ken is, is good. Back in the first week of April when I got by the oral examination and it was clear I was going to be able to graduate, I told Kim, you have to call me doctor. Yeah. And I don't remember anything after that. Uh, I came to a few hours later. But later that week I was at a restaurant and I saw, have you ever seen that they actually make a brand of root beer, a can of root beer, Dr. Brown's root beer? And I bought one, (laughs) and it sits in our refrigerator. And Kim has to look at it every time she opens the uh, the refrigerator. (laughs) All right, James and Erica, if you guys will come, come on up. This is James and Erica Donovan, and they have two little ones, uh, Ellie and Judson. They have been attending since February. They found uh, early this year. Uh, themselves uh, looking for a church. A friend of theirs heard about us through a pastor friend of mine. Uh, The friend came, invited them to come the following week and you guys have come I think every week uh, pretty much since then. And taking a good look, it happened in God's good providence that we were doing our four week newcomers orientation at the very time they started to come. So they were able to take those four weeks, get a good an instruction on what we are about and what we believe and why we do things the way we do. So they're able to make an informed decision about joining our church. We have heard their testimonies of salvation and baptism. They've signed our membership covenant, so we are recommending them for membership in our church. All in favor of receiving James and Erica into membership, signify by saying amen. 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 Any opposed? Say no. All right. Well, and likewise, as you're trying to get by to see uh, Jeremy and Amy, do the same for uh, James and Erica and welcome them into our fellowship. Let's stand together for our closing song. Thanks, guys.